Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. It's time to turn your garden into a smart garden on News Radio 830 WCCO. Smart Gardens, an hour of expert advice and answers to all of your lawn and gardening questions. You can call 989-9226 or text us at 81807. Now, here's Denny Law with this week's Smart Garden. And right with me is Julie Weisenhorn from the yeah, University of Minnesota hello, Extension. Hello. Sounding a little better than I'm the state froggy. fair, but a little froggy. <laughs> yeah, that... Uh, it's a hanger-honor. <laughs> it really is, and it, a lot of folks have, are finding that. I, I know. Yeah. I well, don't know where it came from. Well, we're glad you're somewhat better anyway. Yes, I feel fine. So she's going to help you out, lawn and garden talk, as we always do here on our Smart Garden Show. Uh, you and I were talking a little bit about, because um, you asked me when, when I was at the Egg Hort building, if Tony and I tasted the, what is it called? The first, first kiss. First kiss apple. Yeah. I, evidently, we were too late. That's too bad. It's quite good. I tried it at the Arboretum uh, at an event on Thursday, and it's interesting because it's a cross. It's a pair, a child of Honeycrisp, which is our state apple, of course. Everybody knows that. And um, it's crossed with an Arkansas, University of Arkansas apple. Hmm. And that might be where the early uh, pickability comes in. Uh, I'm not sure about that, but I'm guessing. And um, And it's a mid... Uh, it's an early season apple, so it's pickable in uh, mid to late August. Mm. Um, Dave Bedford and, and Dr. Jim Luby, who are our apple breeders at the U, wanted an apple that was ready by Labor Day. So thank you to both of you. <laughs> but you can't get it until next but, year. But now. you can't. Yeah, they're all sold out. But you know, the more it gets into production, the more sure. you'll be able to buy them. So first kiss. First kiss. All right. And if you buy it outside of Minnesota, it's called Rave. Which is which? It's grown out in Washington State, and it probably tastes a little different too. Right? And it tastes differently too. That's one of the things we've noticed about apples in Minnesota is they taste different depending on where you grow them. Sure, warmer yeah. climates changes the flavor, changes the sugar content, and and uh, and so if you buy it outside Minnesota, it's called Rave, and mm. if you buy a truly a Minnesota grown First Kiss, it will be called First Kiss. First Kiss. How about that? 651-989-9226 If you have any kind of a lawn or garden question. Uh, you know we tend to get busy, so call now or send a text. The text number, by the way, is 81807. Uh, should we go to the phones? Should sure. we do that right away? Let's All right. Go. Tom and Champlin is first up here. Thanks, Tom. What is your question for Julie? Uh, two questions, if I may. Sure. How effective is using a weed and feed this time of year, and is a liquid version or a granule version the best one to use? Well, this is the time of year to apply your uh, weed and feed, and you're looking to control primarily the broad, the uh, broadleaf perennial weeds like creeping Charlie and and plantain and some of those. The annual weeds right now, it's it's almost uh, you know not an issue at this point because they're going to die. They're annual plants; they die in the winter. Uh, um, but it would be effective now to do that. And 
the liquid is going to be more readily available because it does not require, um, you know, watering and breaking down uh, from a granular stand like a granular would. However, um, you can uh, potentially burn um, some of your grass plants if you've mixed it too strong. So you want to mix it according to the bottle if you buy a concentrate or you can buy a, re- a ready mix as well. Um, a lot of people like the granular because it's cleaner. Uh, you can use a, a broad, uh, you know, a whirly bird kind of spreader, or you can use a drop spreader. Drop, I think it's called a drop yeah, spread. Yeah, Drop spreader. And, and the other question is: there a firm that would come out to your yard and take analyze and see what you really need to do to it? Oh yeah, there's a lot of great lawn companies around Minnesota and around the metro area. So yes, yeah, definitely. Um, if you have a neighbor who's got a lawn company, ask how they like them. That's usually a great way to to uh, find out, uh, kind of get on the inside track there. Yeah, that's a good point. Word of mouth there. Yep. Thank you, Tom. I appreciate that. Let's see who's next. Oh, we're getting busy. Uh, Ken is calling from Blaine, I believe. Go ahead, Ken. Thank you. Good morning. Uh, yesterday I was at a, a well-known uh, nursery store, and um, I was talking to them about Endless Summer, the hydrangea. Yes. And they said that uh, hydra- that Endless Summer really – um, they've kind of pulled that off the market because uh, they indicated that once it stops blooming, you're never going to get it to bloom again. And uh, they had another one called uh, very similar looking as far as, and it was they were in full bloom. They had several of them, and they were the the, the deep blue color. Mm-hmm. And it's bloom something. Um, it's another variety of of a hydrangea that. Uh, as the blue color, but have, are you aware of the fact that the endless summer? I mean, with the problems that they've had with endless summers, there have been some. Uh, it has been difficult to get it to rebloom, and uh, the endless summer was promoted as a hydrangea that would bloom on both new and old wood. In other words, if you leave stems up, you know, through the year, it would bloom on those, and then any new stems that came up from the base of the plant, it would bloom on those as well. Uh, it's really, uh, it's been real difficult, I think, for a lot of gardeners to get that plant to do that. It has to be in exactly the right conditions, and uh, it also has to be uh, fertilized appropriately. And it's not been as easy as we thought. But there are a lot of awesome hydrangeas. Uh, Bailey Nursery, which is uh, uh, one of the leading uh, plant breeding companies in the United States and housed right here, uh, headquartered here in Minnesota, they have a whole slew of different kinds of hydrangeas that are available. They're a wholesaler, so they're going to sell to the garden centers like the one you visited. And, uh, and, and there's a lot of plants that are within that Endless Summer series that are a little bit different, like the one you mentioned. I'm trying to remember what it's called, Bloom. I want to say like Bloom Blast or Bloom First or something. Um, but I would I'd recommend, you know, explore other hydrangeas. There's a ton of different ones, really great hydrangeas out there. One of my favorites is called Quickfire. It's not in the Endless Summer uh, series. It's called, a, it's called a panicle hydrangea, hydrangea paniculata. But it's one of my favorite, uh, really reliable bloomers. Limelight is another good one. And now we have Little Limelight, which is a compact version. And we also have Little Quickfire, which is a compact version, too. Uh, those are both paniculatas. They're both panicle hydrangeas, but they're fantastic bloomers, and there's lots of choices. So go for it. Take a look at what you like. Talk to your garden centers. They're going to know uh, what does well in the area that you live. All right, very good. So lots of choices. All right, thank you, Ken. Appreciate the call. Texter says, how can I, 
how can I uh, preserve and dry cattails? You ever done that? I have never done that before. Usually when I have picked cattails and put them in a, a dry arrangement or something, they end up going to seed. Yeah. <laughs> so I've tried spraying them with hairspray. That doesn't work very well. Um, so if anybody knows, if anybody out there is a florist and they are, they're successful at that, it might be the time that you cut those cattails. Maybe you have to cut them earlier in the season before okay. they start to seed. Um, but if anybody knows, send a text message and let us know. I want to make mention, too, that our great sponsor of this show, By the Yard Patio Furniture, that family-run business down in Jordan, Minnesota, sponsors the show every week. We appreciate that. And uh, I'm going to mention it later, but uh, the State Fair deal is still going on through today only, but we'll talk more about that. Can we buy, Texter says, a first kiss tree? No, you cannot. Hmm. (laughs) Uh, The first kiss is a, you have to be a licensed orchard to grow first kiss. You cannot buy those. In fact, I heard that you won't be able to buy a tree until like 2035. Oh, really? Oh, wow. Mm -hmm. So uh, it's the same with Sweet Tango, and and one of the reasons for that is to preserve the uh, uh, branding and the trademark of that plant because it's it, it's different no matter where it's grown. So um, it's a long story. You can read about it from the Arboretum. They have great information about it in, on our Apple page. All right, very good. You know, I know we need to take a break. Uh, when we come back, would you explain to me, and I, I know you've done it here on CCO before, about why so many acorns. I mean, we're talking yeah. snowdrift. Last year. Okay. We'll talk. <laughs> you, you you can explain that when we come back. Sounds good. Here on 830 WCC, 58 degrees right now, heading for 73. Uh, welcome back to our Smart Garden Show. Denny Long here with Julie Weisenhorn from the U of M. And we have, as you can see, Julie, a lot of callers. Excellent. A lot of texters as well. Let's see who's been waiting. Uh, let's get get back to the phone. Then we'll pick up on more uh, text messages. Mary Lou is calling from Crystal. Hi, Mary Lou. Good morning. Morning. My, one of my favorite shows. Oh, thank um, you. I know I've asked this before, but I I need a retouch on wintering peonies. Okay. Am I to cut them down to the ground all all the stalks off after they go brown? Or what should I do? Yeah, that would be fine. And you can just uh, compost those stalks, um, burn them, whatever, if you have a bonfire. But, uh, yeah, you can just cut them down. And then uh, uh, you you might want to put some, let some leaves, some dry leaves fall over them just to add a little mm-hmm. winter insulation. Um, but that's all you need to do. All right, very good. Thanks, Mary Lou. 651-989-9226. Text is 81807. Barb is calling from Plymouth with a question for Julie. Hi, Barb. Good morning. Good morning. Um, I am one of many people in this area that have a tremendous problem with Japanese beetles. I went to my local garden store, and they suggested a granular, something called grub beater that you need to put down um, and work into your lawn. And I'm wondering where I do this. How do I identify? Do I I cover my whole lawn, or what do I do, or do you not think this is a good um, solution? Uh, well, the first question is, have you have you got grub problems in your lawn? Not that I know, no. Okay. So uh, one of the issues with... Or, Julie, how do I know if I've got okay. grub problems okay. in my lawn? So grubs are, uh, grubs are root feeders. So mm-hmm. if there are grubs in your lawn uh, that and you see large brown patches in your lawn and you can literally pull that brown patch of dead grass back like a carpet, that indicates that you have some kind of grubs 
and I would see the grubs in the lawn, in the in the ground. You no, know, because they're a few inches below the surface. Oh, right okay. Now. You'd have to dig down and dig them out. Okay. But if you do have patches like that, that's a, a one sign of grub damage, mm-hmm. and uh, and then it would be appropriate to apply a grub uh, control like that, and you would apply it to. Uh, most of your lawn. You can follow the directions on the package. That's going to tell you where to apply it, how frequently, and at what rate. Uh, if it's granular, you may have to water it in as well. Right, yeah. But if you don't have any grub damage, applying grub control is not going to lessen the populations of Japanese beetles. Japanese beetles are, are very strong flyers as adults. They, um, they have now uh, gone into the soil and laid their eggs um, and uh, and and there, you still see a few of them out there right now. Yes. And um, and and so they've already laid their eggs for next year. And so putting them in, you know, those if you don't see any grub damage, then applying grub control isn't going to help. Uh, what you want to do is, uh, you know, next year is is to get on, you know, get ahead of the the Japanese beetles if you can. And as soon as you start seeing, you got to scout your yard for them. As soon as you start seeing them feeding, is is to go ahead and, and handpick those babies off of that off of your plants. You can net uh, really particularly valuable plants if you have hybrid tea roses and they're decimating those flowers. You want to maybe net those against them. Uh, and if you have uh, grapes, that's another favorite of theirs. They have about three hundred and fifty different plants that they feed on. Um, but a lot of the a lot of the issue with Japanese beetles is primarily cosmetic. So keeping your plants as healthy as possible as they go into the winter, mm-hmm. water your evergreens well. They actually don't feed on evergreens much. The only I, problem I have is hibiscus. I have hardy hibiscus, and that's okay. what they really attack. Okay, so that would be a plant if if uh, if it's if it's uh, doable is to net that plant against the Japanese beetles ahead of the game. One of the things that we found is that Japanese beetles, the more they feed, the plant puts out a volatile. Mm-hmm. That attracts more Japanese beetles. I don't. We don't know why it does that, but that's been uh, researched and found to be the case. So, if you can prevent the feeding, if you can get on top of it uh, and and stay on top of it, as I know it takes a, it's a lot of work, but um, then you can lessen the Japanese beetles visiting your yard that way. Thank you. Uh, we have we have by the way on our yard and garden news blog, uh, which is a fantastic place to find current information. There's a really good podcast. That just came out last week, and it's between Annie Claude, who's our uh, extension educator in fruit and vegetables, uh, one of our graduate students who's uh, working on his Ph.D. studying Japanese beetles starting next year, and then Jeff Hahn, who's our extension entomologist. Take a listen to that. That will explain a lot of the questions that people have about Japanese beetles, and you can find that on our website at extension.umn.edu. Extension.umn.edu. Yes. Yeah, and go to Yard and Garden. All right. Uh, thanks, Barb. Good luck. Ginger is calling from Taylor's Falls, I believe. Hi, Ginger. Hi. I was wondering when a good time to split perennials in the fall. It depends on the perennial. And um, I think for the most part, um, I would recommend waiting till spring. And here's really? why. Because right now, our plants are putting a lot of energy. They're photosynthesizing through their leaves and stems, putting a lot of energy into into their roots for next year. And uh, right now you would need to split them like very quickly and they need time to get reestablished so that they can make it through the winter. So if you can hold off, unless you're having a construction project and you have to move those, just hold off till spring, 
Most of the perennials can be split in the spring. Not all of them, but most of them. You want to look those up. We have a good um, publication on dividing perennials that gives a, a will give you some good information on that. Again, the website is? Extension.umn.edu. All right. Before we break, let's grab a couple of text messages if we can, Julie. Uh, here's one. How can I spread wild uh, jack in the pulpit? How can I do that? Uh, you can, um, hmm, boy, there's, uh, they do put out a seed, and you can spread those seeds. You can collect them and, and spread those and plant those. Uh, a lot of times they just spread on their own for the most part. Um, I don't think there's a matter of where you can divide them necessarily. Um, boy, that's a really good question. I know you can start them from seed. So I would say collect the seed heads. Oh, okay. And then uh, they may need a cold period. They're a native plant here. Uh, but you can, I think you can collect them, keep them in the fridge, and then uh, start them in the spring, maybe indoors in pots, and then set them out and then plant them out in the, when the weather gets warm. Uh, text, a long question, a text, would seeding bare ground now be a, a waste of time and getting a new lawn started now, or uh, will that seed germinate in the spring? There's currently no grass growing in this lawn at all. It's an entirely new lawn at our cabin. I think seed still, but uh, you might want to just, to be on the safe side, is wait and do dormant seeding, which is in November. And uh, we have a good publication on our site about how to exactly do dormant seeding. Essentially, you're putting down seed that will remain dormant until mm-hmm. next spring. So you're kind of doing your work ahead of time in the in the fall when things are not growing to uh, prepare for spring. And did you not mention to me that uh, John Trappy might be here next John week? John Trappy, our uh, one of our uh, postdoc students on um, our postdocs uh, on turf, is going to be here with Mary next week. Yeah. So, so if you have a turf type question, yeah. uh, not that you can't call in it today, but text right, it in. But right. uh, specifically, uh, John will be here uh, once mm-hmm. again. Next week. Absolutely. Good deal. Let's take a break, Julie. I have another half hour of the show to go here on 830 WCC. The weather is coming right up. And good morning. Welcome back to CCO Smart Garden Show here on 830 WCCO and brought to us by every week. We thank our folks and friends at By the Yard. Thank you. Yes, indeed. Great family-run business. Great patio furniture. Uh, Julie Wise, if you're just joining us, Julie Weisenhorn from the U of M is uh, with us today. And we have callers. We have uh, somebody text. I tell you what, let's do. Let's grab Deb's call. Okay. And then let's really see if we can help. Let's talk uh, about that mast. Oh, that's what I wanted. Yes, yeah. yes, yeah. Well, let's let's talk to Deb first, and then we'll okay. talk about Sounds all good. those acorns. Hi, Deb. <laughs> Hi, this is uh, Deb from uh, Farmington. And uh, good morning. And I have a question about something, a curious uh growth or something that we've noticed in our travels around Minnesota, it's like a vine or is it a flower oh. growing over bushes, even oh, pine yes. trees? Is it a, a negative growth or is it something <laughs> that I just have never noticed before? Well, uh, it's wild cucumber vine, which is a native vine of Minnesota. It's an annual vine, uh, meaning that it completes its life cycle in the growing season. And it is uh, particularly of interest this year because, like you, many people have emailed, called, uh, contacted all of us about what is this vine. And uh, it does not grow cucumbers, even though it's called cucumber vine. It gets that name, I think, primarily. The leaves look similar to cucumbers, and it looks a little bit like that. It has these seed pods that have kind of prickles on them, and those seed pods uh, bust open as they age and release a bunch of seeds. And um, we've seen a lot of it this year. We've, Like uh, many of you, we've noticed a, an awful lot of growth in, in both desirable and non-desirable plants. Wild cucumber is just an, it's a native plant here, 
And it's particularly <clears throat> prolific this year, we think, because we've had, to be honest, ideal growing uh, an ideal growing season for many kinds of plants. Uh, lots of people have seen explosions of uh, their their favorite perennials, their favorite vegetables, uh, but also weeds and other plants uh, such as the wild cucumber vine. So it will die back. Now we'll see it all die, and it'll be brown, and it'll be brown all over the plants. But just go pull it down. If you uh, have it growing in your yard, just pull it out. Pulls out really easily. Uh, it's best to pull it out before it sets seed. Uh, and then you shouldn't have uh, quite the issue of it next year. But that's what it is, mm. wild cucumber vine. Thanks, Deb. Appreciate the, the call. Uh, yeah, let's talk a little bit about the uh, the acorns because we've had over the last couple of weeks a lot of text messages uh, about that question. What's yeah. well, I know you've answered it probably a dozen times, but, <laughs> but why, why all of a sudden? Well, as I said previously, it's just been this ideal growing condition, and this has been what's called a mast year. Mary Meyer has a great article about this on our Yard and Garden News blog. Uh, and basically, it's environmental cues that can trigger switches, so to speak, within a plant that makes the plant produce an excessive amount of flowers and then ultimately an excessive amount of seed. Or we also have, and it can be in combination with, terrific pollination uh, in, in the year. So that's one of the reasons. The other one might be stressful conditions. In other words, a plant might be growing in very compacted soil. It might have damage to the trunk. There could be soil issues that triggers the plant to produce an excessive amount of offspring. And that for a plant, that's seed to create a next generation of that plant. So it's called a mast year. It happens about every two to five years. Uh, We've seen it in trees, particularly. You saw it in your acorns, maple seeds. Uh, We're going to see a lot of seedlings next year. So just be ready be ready for that. Uh, remember that if you get a lot of seedlings in your lawn, you can just mow them off and, and they won't come back. Uh, just get there, get to them early uh, and cut them down and they'll just die. Those little roots will just die back. So, But with the acorns, that's probably the most treacherous because uh, it's like walking on marbles. It really is. <laughs> We've had a couple of wipeouts around our neighborhood. And if, if people don't get rid of a certain layer, isn't that not isn't that somewhat harmful to your lawn, your grass? Well, it can if it crushes down, uh, yeah, you should be raking them up if yeah. you can. Or, or there's lawn sweepers that come out. Uh, sometimes if they're small enough acorns, you can mow them up and they'll just disintegrate. Right. But, um, but wow. it's tough, yeah. It's it's just a kind of a freak of nature, and sometimes it's just all the, all the everything's lining up perfectly, and in some cases you may have a, a more uh, uh, stressful condition for your plant. All right, thanks, Julie. Uh, texter wants to know: Is aerating your lawn really worth the money? Is it best to do it now or in the spring? Overseed or fertilizer or both after the aeration? Do you want to answer that one? I I certainly will because I say, because I've learned from you guys that aerating your lawn in the fall is the best. Yeah, and and it's because uh, when you aerate in the spring, you turn up a lot of weed seeds. And those weed seeds are going into a great growing season and they're going to germinate. So in the fall, they're actually, uh, you're not going to be having those those weed seeds exposed. Um, It's also a great time to overseed. So after you aerate, and and core aeration is one of the... um, one of the things we do, and that's where they pull the cores of soil out. Some people say, oh, it's goose poop or, yeah, oh, right. whatever, but it's actually soil cores. <laughs> right. And they break down quickly. They, you know, they're fragile, and you walk on them, and they crush down, and they go back in the soil, which is great. Um, but what happens is when you pull those cores out, you're literally relieving the compaction within that soil, 
and allowing for air to get down into the uh, root system, which is important for the health of roots. And then when you overseed, uh, if you broadcast a, a good seed, good quality seed that's suitable to your site, you're getting that seed down into the soil and getting better soil to seed contact. So it's a it's a great thing to do this time of year. And uh, we recommend uh, aeration probably, you know, every three to five years or so. It depends you don't on have how to much, do it every year. You don't I have think. to do it every year. Um, and it depends on how much traffic you have. You know, if you have a, a, a lot of kids and they're playing in the yard a lot or you have, if you've been driving heavy equipment on your yard doing construction or something, um, or if you have a small yard and you, you tend to walk in the same place, that's just the case in our house, um, then you want to aerate at that. You want to aerate that and, and relieve that compaction. Going to be doing that in about a week at my house. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You can rent aerators, or you can, uh, or you can hire somebody. Hire them to out. Do it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Let's uh, thank you, Julie. Let's uh, go back to the uh, callers, and then we'll get grab more uh, text messages. Let's see who's been waiting. Frank in Bloomington is first up here. Go ahead, Frank. Thank you. Hi. Good morning. Good morning. I planted two autumn blaze maple trees oh, a little over a year ago. When's a good time to trim off those lower branches? Can you do it any time or wait till they go dormant in the fall or what? Uh, you can go ahead and do that now, um, and or you can wait till winter. That's fine. If you're going to wait till winter, just uh, put a mark on the, you know, with a little spray paint or tie a ribbon mm-hmm. around the branches you want to trim off, just so you remember which ones you want to, uh, if, they're, if they're dead branches, for example. Um, but you can do those now. In the spring, if you trim maples, they will bleed their sap, which is uh, alarming sometimes to people, but it's just a natural um, occurrence and won't harm the plant at all. So you can you can trim those. Probably I'd say you could trim now or trim in the winter. I like to trim in the winter. I think it's easier to see the structure of the plant. Yeah, good point. Thank you, Frank. Uh, Texture says, when should I trim back my tropical hibiscus that is still blooming that I have had for five years, and how far back should I trim it? I believe with those, you would trim those after they drop all their leaves or done blooming. And I believe you would want to trim those in the spring. In the spring. Yeah. We have, Texter says, a Diablo nine bark bush that has gotten very tall and bushy. May we cut that back? And when would be a good time to do that? So uh, nine bark, uh, you would cut back in, the sp- in late winter or early spring. Uh, and that is a summer blooming plant or later blooming, and so you'd want to cut that back um, at that time. We have a great uh, publication on our Trees and Shrubs page on extension.umn.edu. Click on Yard and Garden, and uh, it's uh, it's called Pruning Trees and Shrubs, and it has a couple of lists. One is uh, when to um, when to prune uh, when to prune to prune for health, prune for landscape purposes. And uh, and then also when to prune trees and shrubs. And we have it divided up into established trees and then apple trees and also uh, tree, time to prune to avoid diseases. And then trees and shrubs to prune after blooming, like lilacs, and trees and shrubs to bloom or to, <laughs> to prune before new growth. So you, you take a look at that. It's got a nice list there of the plants. And again, that's on our trees and shrubs page on extension.umn.edu. Wonderful website. Yeah, getting better. It's uh, It's gone through some uh, big changes. If you haven't been on the site, uh, you'll want to refresh a lot of your bookmarks if you've got some favorite pages. But we're adding things uh, back in all the time and we're adding some new things too. 
So uh, we think it's going to be a little bit more user-friendly, mm-hmm. and, uh, and we're uh, reconstructing some of the pages so there's, it's not so text-heavy. It's got more checklists, bullets. We've combined some publications together. So uh, anytime mm-hmm. a web page changes, everybody goes, oh, no, I can't find what mm-hmm. I want. But we're pretty adaptable people. So, so um, just get on that site and explore it. It's got great photos. We've really worked hard on uh, adding new pictures. And the Yard and Garden News blog is a terrific tool for current information, things that people are seeing right now All right, and that we're reporting on. Extension.umn.edu. Yep. Go to Yard and Garden. Excellent. Julie, hang on. We'll take a quick break. We have more Smart Garden Show straight ahead here on News Talk 830 WCCO. Hey, good morning. Welcome back to our Smart Garden Show here on 830 WCCO and Julie Weisenhorn, who's helping us out. Always a pleasure. And Well, it's our pleasure because you've got <laughs> helping callers and texters, and we have plenty of both. Great way to start a Saturday. And how's your throat to feeling? Now? It's feeling good. Right. I got my cup of tea here. All right, very good. Sounding better all the time. Good deal. All right, let's uh, let's pick up on our telephone conversations here with uh, who's been waiting. Darlene in Northfield. Hi, Darlene. Hi. Good morning. I have a oxalia, and it's. I started with a little twig. I put it in a twelve-inch across pot. The thing is as big as a living room chair. <laughs> yeah, it's got about a hundred buds on it. The Woo. buds sometime drop off. I'm giving it a five-gallon ice cream bucket or a one gallon ice cream bucket of water every day because it really needs it but i want to bring this in the house and i have to cut it back how how do i do can i when's a good time to do that should i be chop kind of cutting it back now so it doesn't have such a shock or is this a is this is a non-hardy azalea right okay So it's a how it would be treated as a house plant. So, it was, but it's um, a bush. <laughs> but it's a bush. Yeah, it sounds like you've done a great job. I would take an opportunity to to cut it back, as you said. Now you're going to cut off the flower buds. Yeah, I know. But that's okay because that might uh, the plant the plants plants put an awful lot of energy into reproduction. So that means flower and then seeds, and uh, and so cutting it back when it brings it in, you know, you're changing the environment. So it's going to, uh, it, you actually want to relieve some of that, that pressure to reproduce. So cutting it back is okay. Um, it will probably drop leaves because you're changing the environment again, so don't be alarmed. But I would also take this opportunity to repot it because clearly if you're watering it a gallon of water every day, it's probably pot-bound. Yeah. So I would get a new pot a couple inches wider, 14, 15-inch pot, and maybe a little bit deeper, and I would plant it at the same soil level, but I would put it into a new pot and give it a nice big saucer, buy a nice deep saucer to sit underneath it so that it catches any overflow, mm-hmm. uh, and maybe mix in a little bit of houseplant uh, fertilizer, uh, just maybe a slow-release fertilizer for indoor plants, and, uh, and that will just give it a little bit of feed all the time, and you might also want to mix in a little bit of... Uh, Houseplant for uh, acidic uh, plants that like acidic soil, because an azalea is a, is a plant that likes acidic soil. So you want to keep that pH uh, lower in that container, and it's easy to do in a container because it's very you know it's in a container. It's, you don't have a lot of other variables there. Um, you might want to cut it back, maybe about a third. We don't usually recommend more than that. Uh, just because it, you cut off an awful lot of the um, the plant at that point, and then put it in a sunny window, 
and uh, keep doing what you're doing. You're obviously doing a great job. So, um, but that's a that's a good it's a good opportunity to repot it. Okay, thank you, Darlene. Let's see, we have time. Yes, uh, Barb is calling from uh, Wood Lake. Barb, uh, good morning. What? How can we help you? Uh, yes, I have one of your favorite topics I want to bring up is <laughs> creeping Charlie. Ah, the winner. <laughs> Barb ding, is the ding, 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 ding. <laughs> creeping yeah. Charlie. Well, what do you want to know about? It? Uh, I have a lawn care service that comes and takes care of our yards, and they do a good job. Good. And when I was out um, uh, in my yard under some pine trees, I was <clears throat> pulling some weeds and stuff, and I noticed that our neighbor is growing um, or is, uh, is growing Creeping Charlie. <laughs> okay. All over their backyard. Okay. <clears throat> and it's growing into our yard and into the backside of our yard. And how can I get rid of it and how do I keep it within its own boundary? Oh boy, that's a great question. Um, I would talk to your neighbor first. Maybe you already have. Uh, usually when there's a, a kind of a dispute between neighbors, particularly when one neighbor has a yard that they kind of let the weeds go a little bit or they have a tree that grows over the property line, it's always great to talk to people first um, and explain to them that you spend a lot of money on your lawn care service because you want to keep Creeping Charlie out of your yard and could they possibly do something uh, to on their end to help control it. They might say, no, we don't. And at that point, uh, then it's a matter of having your lawn care company treat that back area and treat along that border in particular. And, uh, and, and so uh, talk to them first, and then I think it's all you can do is, is have that lawn company come in and treat for broadleaf weeds. It's a good time to do it. They've probably told you that already uh, because these plants are putting a lot of energy into their root systems for next year. And uh, and so they're translocating. In other words, they're moving nutrients through their leaves into their stems and into their roots. And mm-hmm. if you do a, a an herbicide treatment now on that on that creeping Charlie, it's going to mm-hmm. translocate. It's going to move that herbicide down through the through the uh, root system into the root system and kill the plant. So sometimes that's all you can do. Um, and I hope your neighbors. I hope you guys are good enough friends that you can talk about that pretty openly. And that maybe they'll do a little bit of weeding on their side to try to keep it under control. That would help. Julie, we have only about two minutes to go. And Bob ah, in Mankato so wants to ask you a question. Go ahead, Bob. What is your question, please? Hello. When should I trim my heritage roses? I have one that in the spring has yellow flowers along the stems. The other in the later in the season has little red buds. When is the best time to trim these and how much? Oh, boy, I'm not a very good rose person. Um, I would contact uh, one of our garden centers and ask them about that. Uh, Ask for somebody who's really good with roses. Um, The other option is there's an excellent book called Growing Roses in Cold Climates. And uh, John Whitman is one of the authors, and I can't think of the other person. But they have a lot of good care information about that. You can also go online and uh, go to the uh, Rose Society webpage, and they could probably help you with that as well. I'm just not not a very good uh, rose grower. Um, I would think that you could you would wait to trim them back. Um, heritage rose, I don't know if those are hardy roses or not, um, where you, or if they're roses that you have to bury and uh, do the Minnesota tip method. Um, 
The other per- the other person you could talk to, you could call the Arboretum. Uh, we have a tr- some tremendous rose growers there. That's a good could idea. Probably help you out there. That's that might be a good <laughs> idea. Uh, Ted Pugh is the rose gardener for the Wilson Rose Garden, which has the formal rose garden, and, and maybe he could help you out. All right. Uh, well, Julie, why don't you give us that website once again of the U of M? Uh, it is extension.umn.edu, and uh, dro- go to the drop-down menu and click on Yard and Garden. And be sure to read the Yard and Garden news blog. It's full of great information and very timely. Excellent. Good to see you again, Julie. Yep. Texter wants to know, what length do you cut grass <laughs> for the winter? Well, three inches about. Yeah. Yeah. You don't have to scalp your lawn in the winter. Uh, You don't want to keep it really long because that will might increase your snow mold in the spring. And if you have a turf question next week, yeah, John will be here next week. John Trappy will be here and he's a turf uh, expert. Yeah. So uh, that'll be next week. So if you have any exact, uh, you know, lawn questions, uh, save them till uh, till next week. We're still in a good time of year to do lawn care. Absolutely. All right, Julie, good to see you. Good to see you too. Say hi to Carl and we'll uh, we'll talk down the road. See you in a couple weeks. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.